that you hold, I'm going to ask that you would consider this particular view too. So don't just switch me, or, you know, switch me off and, and dial out. Would you just consider what I have to say? Weigh it up um, at the end. That's all I can ask of you. And so like I said, there's, there's many that believe that you know, it's not just about Jesus. All, all faiths, uh, faiths lead to God. Or, or you can kind of pick and choose. You, know? you, you, you take a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of your own philosophies and thoughts, and you come up with your, your own faith. Um, and th- this is known as syncretism. And uh, uh, something that the New Age movement does a lot uh, today, or has been doing for, for quite some time. But this is just one of the many voices or false theologies that was trying to infiltrate this church way back in the first century in Coloss. And they were saying, come on, guys. You can't be so naive. It's not just about Jesus. You also have to worship uh, this particular thing, or you have to worship in this particular way, and you have to go listen to those guys over there. They're the gurus. If you want to know, you know answers on all spiritual matters, they're the ones who've been blessed with this incredible knowledge. You need to go and listen to them, but it, it can't just be all about Jesus. And Paul writes to them, and I believe to us some 2,000-odd years later, and he says, no, no. It is just about Jesus. Jesus really is enough. He is all that you need. In fact, he's told us in chapter 1 of his letter so far that all things, all things that you can see, all things that you can't see, he says across a heavenly realm and a physical realm, across two realms, all things were made by him, through him, and for him. And then he says that, he, that all things hold together in him. So not only is he the creator of all things, but he is the sustainer of all things. So Paul then says, so that he might be preeminent over all things. So that he might reign supreme over all things. And then he says the most incredible thing. Chapter 1, verse 27, he says, this preeminent Jesus, he's in you. And he is your hope of glory. He says, Christ in you, your hope of glory, your assurance of being in glory in heaven one day. And he says, therefore, we are complete in him. Therefore, Jesus really is enough. But we're not entirely out of the woods yet, because for most of chapter 2, he's been warning us of the deception of these false teachers. In in verse 4 of chapter 2, he says, be careful, don't let anyone delude you with plausible arguments. He's saying, listen, they're going to come along and they're going to, their arguments, their philosophies, their opinions are going to sound so good. They're going to sound so appealing. They're going to sound logical. They're going to appeal to you. In fact, they might even appeal to your emotional vulnerability. For instance, you know, you're feeling sad, you're feeling heartbroken, well, come on in, this is what we're all about, we'll take care of you, you just need to believe this, you just need to start worshipping in this way. They'll appeal to your felt needs. You want power, you want status, you want money, you want sex, well, come on in, we'll tell you exactly how to get those things. They'll appeal to your spiritual insecurities or your spiritual curiosity. You're not sure that you're going to heaven one day? We'll tell you. You just have to start believing these things and and doing all of these things on top of Jesus. They'll say, no, you you can believe in Jesus, but come on. You're hinging all of your hope on one person? 
So Paul says, be careful. Deception is exactly that. It's deceiving. They will twist the truth ever so slightly. But the common denominator at the end of the day for all of these deceptive thoughts, all of these deceptive philosophies is that they will minimize Jesus. They'll say Jesus is not enough. And so this morning we continue with Paul encouraging us to be on guard against deception. Because if you remember from our baptism service, we had a look at Jesus' victory, uh, the, the victory that he accomplished for us over deceptive doctrine, indwelling sin, religious debt, and the devil and his demons. And so deception is going to come along and say, mm, it's going to try and rob us of those things, rob us of the truth that Jesus has paid it all for us. So with that in mind, let's jump straight into our text for this morning, Colossians chapter 2. Verses 16 to 23, you can grab a a Bible in your chair pocket in front of you or somewhere along your row. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take one of those home with you as long as you read it uh, or jump onto your Bible app or feel free to follow with me on the screen. But here we go. Paul continues, he says, Therefore, therefore is in light of that incredible victory that Jesus has won for us. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon sabbath or, or sorry or a new moon or a sabbath these are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ let no one disqualify you insisting on ascetism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Listen to this. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and ascetism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So, as we finish off chapter 2 today, Paul is going to tell us to be on guard against deception, which comes across in three ways in the particular context of this passage. You can see that on the flip side of your bulletin, they go like this. We need to be on guard against deceptive legalism, deceptive mysticism, and finally, deceptive oppression. So here we go, point number one. We need to be on guard against deceptive legalism. Now, let me give you my very simple definition of legalism, and it's, it's any attempt to gain God's favor by living a morally upright life, but here's the kicker, in your own strength and ability and understanding, as opposed to gaining God's favor simply by His grace and His mercy. Legalism says, legalism is basically reliance on self to get God, whereas gospel-centered Christianity is reliance on God's grace to get God. Now, I know, a very simple definition, but legalism does come in many different ways and many different, has many different faces, but no, no matter how it comes across, it has one goal in mind, and that is to rob you of your freedom in Jesus. So that's why Paul has been saying all along, so far through our, book, through, uh, through our journey through the book of Colossians, that you are complete in Jesus because he has achieved all of your freedom. 
But legalists are going to come along and say, and they're going to appeal to your logic, right? They're going to say, come on, guys. Think about the world. How does the world work? You want a promotion? You've got to work hard for it, right? You've got to earn it. So in the same way, you want salvation? And you've got to earn it. You've got to work hard to get it. And so here's what Paul has to say about it. Look at verse 16 again. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Because that's exactly what legalism is going to do. It's going to judge you. It's going to judge you for not adhering to its specific requirements. It literally means let no one condemn you. Like, hey, you're not a Christian. In fact, you're going to go to hell if you don't do all of these things that we say you should do. Or it means criticize. Don't let people criticize you for the freedom that you have found in Jesus because you're not adhering to their specific requirements and standards. And their requirements sound quite strange to us. He, he, he talks about certain foods and, and drink and festivals and new moons and Sabbath. And all of those things have their, their roots in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament uh, Mosaic law. And Paul says to the guys, come on, Colossians. You know better than that. You know better than to adhere to these things. Here's why. Look at verse 17. It says, these are a shadow. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Can you see what he's saying there? He's contrasting these things with what he calls shadows with Jesus who is the substance. Now we know a, sub, a shadow doesn't have any substance. I mean, if the, the light changes or the sun goes down, they disappear. Except the thing that's made up of substance which is Jesus. He's saying, furthermore, these things point to Jesus. That's what a shadow does. You see a shadow of a tree, it's pointing to the fact that there's a tree. And these things point to the fact that this Jesus is going to come and fulfill what they stood for. Let's look at an example, the, the food and drink. In the Old Testament law, God did stipulate to the Jewish nation what they could and what they couldn't drink and eat. And the reason for that was to set them apart from the other nations. And this law did, did regulate their behavior, but the point of that was to draw the other nations to God. But they were horrible at doing it. And then Jesus comes along and he says this in Matthew 15, verse 17, he says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? You got that, right? I don't, I don't need to explain the digestive system. He goes on, he says, but, here's the, here's the big kicker, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Saying, guys, come on, think about it. It's not about what you eat and drink that corrupts you. It's about what comes out of your mouth as a result of what's going on in here. It's the condition of your heart that defiles a person, that corrupts a person. Legalistic practices, they, they, they're not going to change your heart. They can't change your, your, transform your heart. A bunch of outward legalistic rules of, of do's and don'ts, it's not going to change your heart. It's, it might regulate your behavior for a time, but it's only faith in Jesus that's going to regenerate, completely transform your heart so that we would begin to live lives to the glory of God. 
And then he sums up the relationship between law and Jesus. Have a look at Galatians 2.16. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. He says, you you can never be determined right before God or, or forgiven before God or righteous before God by observing a bunch of do's and don'ts. He says, but through faith in Jesus Christ. What he's saying in the context of Galatians is that the law was never put there. Its purpose was, was never to justify you before God. It was there to expose how incredibly holy God is and his standards and how incredibly sinful we are and how much we need a Savior. It's only through Jesus, only through faith in Jesus. That's the only thing that God designed for us, to be made right with him. Everything else, he says, is a shadow. All of the law was pointing forward to the substance, Jesus, who has come. He's the real deal. But now, I know what some of you are thinking. I was thinking it uh, when I got to this part in uh, the prepping of the sermon. I thought, ooh, but won't this lead to licentious living? Like if there's no law anymore, if there's no, okay, you can't do this, but you can do that, won't that lead to like, okay, cool, well, it's all by faith and grace, and now I can just do whatever I want, right? Listen, Paul's very clear in Romans 6. He says, listen, grace is not an excuse to sin. Grace is power to not sin. Grace is the power to say no to sin and yes to Jesus so that we might live lives that bring glory and honor to God. He says it another way to the Corinthians. Have a look at this, 1 Corinthians 6, 12. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. So there's no more law in terms of the old covenant saying, you know, this, this, food is partic- this food is unclean and you can't drink this and you, and you can't do that. But what Paul is saying is you need, to think, you need to think clearly here. You need to be clever here. Because say, for example, there's no law saying you can't drink alcohol. But if you have a predisposition towards alcoholism, then it's a pretty good idea not to use it, not to go there. And the context of this passage goes on to speak about sex. And sex, we know, is a gift from God, but he designed it for us to to be enjoyed within the confines of marriage. Because if it happens outside of marriage, to use Paul's language here, it leads to all sorts of enslavement, bondage, and consequences. Paul also goes on and he he warns us not to abuse our freedom in Christ to, to cause a younger brother or sister in the faith to stumble. So if drinking alcohol or whatever it might be might cause a a younger person in the faith to stumble, then he says, don't do it. Don't abuse your freedom to cause someone else to stumble. And so he says, yes, all these things are lawful, but it's how you indulge in them that will either bring glory to God, enhance your freedom in Jesus, or enslave you. So religious practices and observances, they're not going to make you right with God. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. So he says, don't let anyone come and condemn you for not observing all of those religious practices. In fact, you know what you can do? You can go to some religious legalistic person and you go, you know what? All your rules, all they're designed to do is condemn me. And rightly so. I'm a sinner. That's what they point out. 
But thanks be to Jesus, who has taken all of that upon himself, so that I might be set free. But let's be careful how we use our freedom. It's use it to the glory of God, not for our enslavement back into sin, and not to cause a younger brother or sister in Christ to stumble, and not to hinder our witness of Jesus. The second thing we need to be careful of regarding deception is deceptive mysticism. Now, a very, very simple explanation of, or definition of mysticism is communication with the divine. Communication with the divine. So, a mysticist or all of these um, other religious cults and, and faiths and philosophies and ideas, they believe that there is a, a power out there. They believe that there is uh, some being out there, a deity or deities out there, and a mysticist wants to communicate with that particular deity. And so by that definition, Christianity is mystical in that we believe God communicates with us and we can communicate with God. The problem comes in, in terms of, well, what being are you trying to communicate with? And what medium are you trying to use to communicate with the divine? And as Christians, we believe God has spoken to us through His, His Word. We have His Word here, and we get to speak to Him through prayer. But now let me say this. I believe in a very, very big and sovereign God who can do whatever he wants. He proved it in the Old Testament. He spoke through a donkey. But the great thing for us is that he has given us his word by which we test all other forms of communication like prophecies and words of, of knowledge and things like that. But in the context, yeah, mystical deception is going to come along and say, come on, come on. You can't just have one book. We're talking about the divine, we're talking about a God here. You can't just have one book that you're relying on. No, you need to read this book, or you need to go online and you need to listen to this particular guru with all of his insights, and you need to add some crystals to your prayer and all those kinds of things. But whatever the medium used, they all have the same goal. Minimize Jesus. Minimize what he did on the cross. Minimize our freedom in him. See, here's how Paul puts it, verse 18. He says, let no one disqualify you. literally means let no one rob you. Let no one defraud you. And here's how they're going to do it. Insisting on ascetism, which, which means severity or, or severe abstinence. And the worship of angels, he says, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. It says they will rob you of your freedom by insisting in the context here that you have to live the ascetic life. Now, there were two particular camps of Gnostic false teachers. The one camp of Gnostics said, hey, listen, man, it's sex, drugs, rock and roll, eat, drink, be merry, because whatever you do to your physical body, it does not affect your spiritual condition. And that's what counts, right? At the end of the day, your spirit goes to be with the divine or whatever they were saying. Then the other camp of Gnostics were saying, no, 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 what you do to your body has it does severely affect your spiritual condition. And so they were saying, no, no, you've got to do the ascetic thing. You've got to be severe on your body. You've got to get your body into alignment with your spirit because they believed the body was evil. You've got to abstain from food and all sorts of things. And so they were saying, you, you, you've got to sort out that body that's going to 
That's going to corrupt you. So they're, they're even saying you've got to separate yourself from society, from culture. I mean, there's crazy, crazy stories I was reading. You know, some would go and live in caves. There's a story of a guy who attempted to live on top of a pole in order to discipline his body and separate himself from culture and society. Other horrendous stories of, of torturing your body to get it in alignment with the spirit. And this is all contrary to, the, to living the missional life that Jesus has told us, who, who, Jesus has commissioned us to live the missional life. Yes, you're in the world, you're not to be of the world, but you're in the world to go be salt and light. Go be salt and light to a world that so desperately needs this good news. And the reason why they pushed angelic worship is because they believe God to be too holy and too pure to come directly before him in worship. And so they worshipped him through angels. They worshipped him through other mediums. And this is where you start to get in trouble. Have a look at this quote from Warren Wearsby. He says this, The false teachers in Colossus had visions and made contact with angels. In bypassing the word of God and the spirit of God, they were opening themselves to all kinds of demonic activity because Satan knows how to give counterfeit experiences to people. Listen, trying to reach God the Father through anyone but Jesus is idolatry, and you are opening yourself up to demonic activity. There is only one mediator, one medium between God and man. Not a priest, not some guru, not crystals, one man, Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, for there is one God. I mean, let's just nail down that one. There is one God made up of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's a, that's a different sermon, but there's one God. And there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, the Son of God. But now what does this look like today? What does mystical deception look like in our day and age? Because we're living in a society, we're living in a culture that wants to rob people of their potential freedom in Jesus by insisting on philosophies like, hey, no man, all, all, all paths lead to God at the end of the day, like that, that house that Janine and I went into. Or, or the New Age movement that I, I mentioned earlier. And listen, trying to define the New Age movement is like trying to grab hold of, a, of, of, of wet soap, you know, like a cake of wet soap. It's, it's impossible. But this guy, Matt Slick, he does a pretty good job. Listen to this. I'll put it on screen just to show you how pervasive it is. He says this, The New Age movement has many subdivisions. But it is generally a collection, that's the key term, it is generally a collection of Eastern-influenced metaphysical, which means theoretical or supernatural, uh, thought systems, a conglomeration of theologies, hopes and expectations, held together with an eclectic teaching of salvation, of correct thinking and correct knowledge. It is a, theo a theology of feel-goodism, universal tolerance and moral relativism. Meaning, hey, if it feels good, must be good, right? Or if it's true for you, then hey, it's true for you. It might not be true for me, but hey, at the end of the day, we just have to, we just have to tolerate each other. And we know that's not going to work. It's not working. Because eventually, my truth that I hold on to, it's going to clash with your truth that you hold on to. 
He goes on, he says, Though the New Age movement is tolerant of almost any theological position, it is opposed to the narrow-mindedness of Christianity that teaches Jesus is the only way and that there are moral absolutes. They love Jesus up until the point where you say, but Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father. That's where they check out. And then on top of all that, throughout the centuries, we've got false prophets claiming to be Jesus or, or a form of Jesus. And the thing is, they're all very convincing. They all come across very genuine, all very warm, all very inviting. But Paul identifies their source. He says this. Have a look at this. He says, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. These philosophies, these religions, these cults are held are made up by minds that are held captive by a sinful nature, he says. Now, there's people who haven't experienced the truth of Jesus. They haven't experienced the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. And so what's the solution? Paul says, we need to hold fast. We need to hold fast to Jesus, who's the head of the church, both corporately and individually. Look at verse 19, he says, holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, that's you and I, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. The thing that is going to stop you from being robbed or defrauded by these false teachings says it's growth. Growing. Growing in God. Growing in Christ-likeness. Growing in spiritual maturity where you're able to discern between truth and deception. And that growth, he says, doesn't come from, from torturing your body. It doesn't come from using different mediums like gurus and all sorts of other mediums and angels and worship of angels or, or listening to visions uh, based on, 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 on a sinful mind. They come from a sinful mind. He says, no, growth in God comes from God by being connected to the head of the church, which is Jesus. Legalistic idolatry and mysticism, they want to sever you from the headship of Jesus. It wants you to worship something else, mainly yourself at the end of the day. Legalism says, hey, listen, salvation is in your own hands because you've got to live according to all of these, these standards and the, all of these requirements. It's on you at the end of the day, all the best. And it results in one of two things. It results either in absolute despair because you can see there's just no ways I can consistently and, cons and constantly live according to these standards. Or it results in absolute pride because it deceives you into thinking, hey, I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm living according to all of these things. And then, of course, mysticism says, hey, whatever feels good, do that. Whatever is true for you, do that because you, at the end of the day, are the master of your own universe. If it's not Jesus described within the pages of this book, if it's not the gospel described within the pages of this book, then it's not the truth. It's not the truth. And you'll be deceived. You won't grow with the growth that comes from God. So we need to examine ourselves. What are we holding on to so that we won't be robbed or defrauded? The last thing we need to be aware of is this, deceptive oppression. 
That's what deception wants to do at the end of the day. It wants to oppress you. It wants to master you. It demands your submission. But Paul writes and he says this, look at this, verse 20. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Now look at this. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. I mean, use your logic. According to human precepts and teachings. He says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You want to stop all of your sinful cravings. You want to stop sinning? They're not the solution. They have no power. So first, Paul gives us the solution. He says, hey, don't you know that if you're a Christian, that, that means you died with Christ? That when Jesus died as your representative on the cross, he destroyed the penalty and the power of sin, death, and the devil over your lives. You are free in him. The way he says it, he uses the phrase here, the elemental spirits of the world. In other words, the evil influence in the world that has made it to be the way it is. Always contrary to God. And he says this evil influence has influenced human teachings and precepts. And what they want to do is they want to suppress you and oppress you by saying, hey, don't touch this, don't handle this, this is how you've got to worship, this is what you've got to do. But he says the problem, as good as they might come across, as wild as they might come across, they have no power to help you. They have no power to help you become holy, to overcome the indulgence of the flesh. Here's the big reason why. Because... They are of the same nature as your flesh. Your sinful flesh nature is of the same nature as the elemental spirits of the world. Listen, the devil is very crafty, he's very clever. He knows what the Christian life is all about. He knows the Christian life is all about enjoying God and living a life for the glory of God. And so he's going to deceive people into believing that they can do that by their own strength. In the context of Colossians, by, by go, go live the ascetic life. Go be severe on your body. Anything to keep you from knowing that only, you can only do that by being united to Christ in his death and resurrection on your behalf. He's going to come along and say, hey, you call yourself a Christian? Well, look how much sin there is in your life. And on top of that, you keep sinning. You keep doing the same thing over and over again. You've got to be the dumbest Christian in the whole world. And we go, oh, you're right. And we, we start to feel that condemnation, right? That's what he does. But then he goes, I'll help you out. Here's what you need to do. You need to start doing all of these things. You need to stop doing all of those things. You need to incorporate this into your prayer. You need to go listen to that guru because he's really good. And listen, by the way, you can't go directly to God. You're too sinful. You're too bad, all right? So you need to come through this particular medium here. He's going to help you out. You need to worship angels. You need to do this. You need to incorporate crystals or, or observance of this and that. And then maybe, maybe God will accept you. And the next minute... We're under an oppression of regulations and idols in our lives. And the thing is, we keep messing up. We'll keep messing up because Paul says you can't live a life of glory to God according to the flesh and according to the elemental spirits of this world. And so what's the solution? He says, know that you died with Christ. 
You died with Christ to the power of sin over your life and to the elemental spirits of this world. You no longer live according to the flesh. You no longer live according to the oppression of the devil over you. You live according to the spirit now within you. Paul says it this way, Romans 8 verse 13. He says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, but Jason, you, you have to do something, right? You have to do something still to, to, to stop the indulgence of the flesh. Yes. Paul tells you very clearly here, you put to death the deeds of the body, right? You do it, but only in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have to take responsibility for the sin in our lives, but we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And look at the result, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Notice that it's the Spirit that determines your sonship or your daughtership, not adherence to legalism or mysticism. And we receive the Spirit because we died with Christ by grace and faith alone. So here's the deal. Let me finish off. The way to ultimately guard yourself from deception, robbing you of your freedom in Christ, is to check what are you holding on to. What are you holding on to? Paul says in verse 19 that if you're holding on to the head, which is Jesus, it will result in growth. You will grow. Sunrise, you will grow. You will grow in your Christ-likeness. You will grow in your spiritual maturity. You'll be able to discern what is right, what is truth, what is deception. But if you let go, if you let go, it says that you are being deceived into thinking, hey, there must be something else. There must be something else that I need to hold on to. There must be something else that I need to worship. There must be something else that I need to supplement Jesus with. But Paul clearly tells us that type of thinking comes from a, a sensuous mind. It comes from the elemental spirits of this world. And the consequences can only be bad. But if you hold on to Christ, you will walk more and more in the freedom that he purchased for you. Let me finish it off like this. Truth, truth which is not an, some abstract concept. Truth is a person. Truth is Jesus, which always equals freedom and joy. Whereas deception equals oppression and depression. Deception equals oppression and ultimately depression, whereas Jesus, truth, equals freedom and equals joy. And so my biggest prayer for us is that we cling to Jesus with all of the grace and the mercy that he has given us in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might know that freedom, know it, not just here, but here, and live it out and enjoy the joy that that freedom has for us. Amen? Would you pray with me? The music guys can come up. Jesus, I so badly want that for all of us. For those here who are faith family members of Sunrise, for those who are just visiting us, those of us who maybe just on holiday, Lord, would you do what only you can do? Would you drop this deep down in our hearts 
so that every single person here might walk out of this building knowing and experiencing that freedom and that joy a little bit more. Would you solidify the truth that it's Jesus and just Jesus? Would you open our eyes? Would you open eyes here this morning to see that, to know that? That we might not be deceived, but rather we would be salt and light in this world and help others to see you, Jesus. Use us. Use this church to open eyes to see you, Jesus. In your name, amen.